You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. So we're going to get back into this series this morning. We've spent um, we've spent a couple of uh, sessions in this. We're talking about our responsibility to steward over the revelations that God brings to us, the times that he shows us something in himself, calling those transformational moments because these encounters with God around his presence or around his word are things that transform us. The scripture tells us this, that we are actually changed from one person. We, we, we move from being the person we were when we met Jesus. He is transforming us into the person he actually created us to be. And he's doing it step by step by step, increment by increment. The Bible talks about glory to glory. Okay, And, and that is supposed to be our from one degree of glory to another. In fact, this was our foundational verse that we read around here a lot. In, in, um, just hang on. Okay. You all, you all right? Okay. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or emancipation from bondage and freedom. And that right there is such an important idea that we realize wherever the Spirit of the Lord is working, he's working to bring freedom. He's working to set us free from anything that would hinder, bind us up, keep us in place, hinder us from moving forward in him. Um, You know, and we we can certainly think about that in terms of sin, and the Lord working in those areas of sin. But a lot of things are just ways of thinking that are contrary to the way God thinks. And I would think most of you, if you've been walking with God any time, you've noticed that he thinks completely differently about almost everything than we do, or that we did anyway. And as he renews our minds, he removes attitudes, he removes thought processes, he removes uh, ways of of looking at life and thinking about things that are contrary to who he is and to his word. And he replaces those with thoughts that are in line with who he is, the way he looks at things and his word. And this all happens deep on the inside of us at the core of our being. We Our, our way of thinking is changed. In fact, a couple things come up in my mind right now. And one is that you know, we talk about repentance, which is a choice that we make. It's a gift from God to be able to do this, but it's a choice that we make to turn from the the word in the Greek actually means to change your mind. It begins with changing the way that you think. And it's a choice that you make. You find out that God thinks a different way, that his word says something different, that it addresses you or life in a completely different way. And you make the choice to turn away from the old way of thinking to let go of whatever that old attitude or whatever was and turn to God. It is to turn around. It is to do a 180. It is to turn around and to receive what God has. That's the thing. God, you know, we're talking about this transformational process that God does. It's never completely apart from us. We always have choices to make. When he reveals something to you, That's what this whole series is about. We have to make the choice to be good stewards of what he just revealed, to accept it, 
to hang on to it, to watch over it, to care for it. Remember, talks about Mary treasuring things up in her heart that she'd find out about Jesus and that she'd see in him. She treasured those things up in her heart. She valued them. She hung on to them. There's, there's a process that the Holy Spirit does throughout the scripture that is it, the, the term that's used in the Old Testament means to incubate. It's, it's the idea, and it's used at creation, where, where it says that the Father spoke, and so the Word, the Son, came forth there, and, and creation came into being. And it says that the Spirit was, uh, the old, I think the King James says, brooding over the waters. It's the idea of uh, a, a brood like a chicken would have a brood, you know, and how they will gather that to themselves and warm it. It's the idea of incubation. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He incubates what the word deposits, what the Lord through the word deposits in our hearts. He, he reveals it, but then there's this incubation process, just like there is with any other seed. It has to germinate and it has to put down roots and it has to grow and it has to displace other things. Everything the Lord shows you is like this. So we have to take that process. We can't just ignore what he's doing and expect to have the results that he intends. Does that make sense to you? I just read, and I love this, you read this kind of thing all over, and I, I wish if I thought I was going to share this, I would have read it more carefully. But anyway, it was just another article. This one happened to be about motorcycle safety and about having a mindset uh, as you're riding and doing things so that you're, you're seeing yourself navigating the corner instead of going off the cliff, for example. That, and, and it's, you know, the, the neuroscientists are, are discovering that in human beings, if you have these negative images such as, I can't make this corner, okay, and you allow that to dominate your thinking, you're going to go off the edge. But if you can not only remove that image, but replace it with the positive image, that you're going to make it around the corner, you will do the corner. And they're discovering this in all kinds of fields. I just happened to uh, read this. And um, I was thinking, yeah, you know, so they've done all this research to figure out that we, that what's going on in our hearts and minds is defining what's going to happen in our future. And that's not people hear that and they go, oh, that's a new age. No, it's not. That's a Bible thing. I was thinking, I wonder how much money was spent on the research and how many lives, you know, were spent on the research and things and, and all of this going on. Or you could read the Bible, you know? I mean, it, you could just read the Bible and it tells you that this is how we work. We work from this heart level. And, the, and these things, and this is what the Lord does in this transformation process. I didn't even get through the first verse here, did I? <clears throat> it says, in all of us with unfailed faith, uh, unveiled face, unfailed face, yeah, unfailed vase, because we continued, sorry, I'm a little silly this morning, continue to behold in the word of God as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are constantly being transfigured or transformed into his very own image in ever increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord. So we've been talking about the fact that, and Annie had a great testimony about this last week. Um, I need water. Oh, uh, I didn't know you were in here. Um, anyway, 
No, <laughs> no. She was just talking about a discussion with somebody where their, their idea was, well, isn't that just what people do? Don't they just learn to cope? And this is the idea we're really addressing with this whole series. People tend in the natural to just learn to cope with problems. God has something much better. That's not transformation. That's learning to cope. And, and that is not the Christian life. The Christian life is a genuine transformation of heart done by the Lord with our agreement, but done by the Lord to where we change. And we don't view things the way we did. We don't do things the way we did. And we do it from the heart. We're not just putting on a form of religion. We are being changed. The Lord is bearing fruit. Our behavior reflects his for real instead of us just trying to do the right thing and be the right person. This is good news to me. I, need, I needed and I still need lots of transformation. And the Lord is faithful to continue to do it. And my role is to keep looking into him and into the word and to receive the things that he says and to incubate those things and allow that transformation to go on. And when you look back, and I've heard this from a number of you, you know, I have people tell me all the time, wow, you know, this thing happened and two years ago, I would have reacted like this. This time I didn't react that way at all. Why is that? It's because you're a new person. You are that new creation. You are becoming what the Lord has for you. So there, in my opinion, there are way too many Christians just settling for self-regulation, settling for learning to cope, settling for, gosh, this is so hard to bring out in a way that I feel satisfied with. But I love the principles of the word of God. I love the book of Proverbs because it's so practical. I better drink this. It's so practical. <clears throat> and it tells you how to live life in a way that gives life and produces life. And I love that. But those biblical truths and principles that we see, they are principles that you can just apply. There's, that's not bad. But we need to realize there is life on the inside of that word. And it needs to be planted in our hearts and grow in our hearts and be nurtured by the Holy Spirit. It needs to be it needs to be developed in relationship with the Lord so that it actually changes us. And it's not just, hey, this is a good idea and I'm gonna try to do life that way. That's a pretty good place to start. That's better than rejecting the word or, or thinking, hey, here's a really bad idea. I'm gonna do life that way. You know, it's a good place to start, but it's not all God has for us. And so if we just try to live by regulation, just, to, just you know, and I mean, uh, you even hear this a lot, that all oh, the Bible is a manual for living. Well, that's true, but it's even better than that. It's food, it's nourishment, it's seed, it's alive. And, and we need to recognize that and treat it that way, okay? So let's try and move on today. And I'm gonna go over, if you would, go over to Philippians chapter three, with me. This, I have a number of keys that the Lord gave me in this, and we'll just get into this one a little bit today. And this sounds so trite, or not trite, but just, well, it is, it's foundational. But the, the first key to, the, to this transformational living is make knowing the Lord your number one priority in life. 
Okay? Make knowing the Lord your number one priority in life. And when we understand what the Bible says about knowing God, that even the word that's used there, it's an ever-increasing knowledge, just like in a relationship, in any relationship with, any, with your friends, with your spouse, with your children, you grow in the knowledge of one another over years. You know that person better and better. We are not just monochrome people. We can't be known by just a few little lines of text. We are complex individuals, and so is God. And so you see, as you are in a loving relationship with somebody, you see more and more and more. You know them better over years. That's the kind of terminology that's used about knowing God. So it's not just, no, it's not saying know about God, okay? Make knowing about God your number one priority. Knowing God, having a relationship with Jesus, which means things like, I've got to take the time to learn how to discern his voice, what he is saying to me. I've got to approach the word in a very different way. Again, I, I'm not going to it like I go to one of my repair manuals. When, you know, when I'm going to work on one of the bikes or the cars or whatever, I don't know much. So I go to the manual and I look up that section. I look up the electrical section or the transmission or whatever and try and find the specific thing I'm working on and read about it. And then I call somebody and ask what this means. But I mean, you know, it's, it, you're, I'm, I'm, trying to get, I'm trying to get facts, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to get facts and maybe a procedure. Okay, and I'm trying to get hold of that procedure so I can do it. All right, I don't want to approach the word of God that way. I want to approach the word of God. Sometimes I do get a procedure, but if I do, I want to get it from his lips through his word. I want his presence. I want to seek his presence on that word. And I'm not always sure. I, in fact, I mean, it's a sort of a good example because sometimes you have to go seek God about a certain thing in life to get what his word says about that. And that's okay. That's a good thing to do. But what's better is for me simply to seek God every day and go with his leading. And the way that I do that is I tend to, I don't function very well with, uh, <clears throat> with um, commentaries or not commentaries, but um, like the one-year Bible or, or that kind of thing. Some of you do, and that's fine, where it gives you a certain passage to read every day or something like that. I just don't work that way. So I, I'll be somewhere in the Word, and I try to just read in places until I really sense the presence of God on something. So sometimes that's very quick. Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes I don't ever feel like I got there today, but then I'm just going to do it again the next day. And most of the time, there will be something that'll stand out to me. And I know in my, it's standing out to my heart. It's, it's, I, I know that this functions the same way in you. I might not be able to describe it exactly the way it feels to you, but my heart engages. I sense the anointing of God on some thought in that scripture. And I stay there. 
And I read that over and over. I'll read it in a bunch of translations and I'll think on it and I'll meditate on it. I'll speak it to myself. I'll pray over it and chew on it and chew on it and chew on it. And sometimes that goes on with a scripture or two for days or weeks or months. Usually it's not that long, but sometimes it is. And then when I don't feel like I'm, or I'll be chewing on that one and then I'll go read some others, you know. But what I'm looking for, what I'm trying to say is, I want, to, I want to have that engagement with him in his presence and around his word. I want to sense his presence. That's why usually I'll start my prayer time with some worship, just getting myself quiet, <clears throat> a little bit of worship, a little bit of thanking him, you know, that kind of thing, thinking on him. And I want that time to be a devotional time. And usually, almost always, for me, the word is involved in that. But for some of you, it might, you might spend more time on prayer than you do in the word. That might be how you work. You might spend more time in worship than you do in the word. Those all need to be in there. That's the mix for us. But whatever it is, do it until you sense his presence on it. And then spend time there. So you're feeding on him as you're feeding on the word. So my point is, if I'm going to a manual to figure out where the electrical circuit is for a light or something, I'm going to go look up that thing. If I'm trying to figure out how to deal with a specific thing in a relationship, I might go look at scriptures on forgiveness or scriptures on this or that to deal with that. I might go look for that. But for the most part, for the overall part, I find that if I just engage with God every day, he brings those things that I'm going to need up the road to me ahead of time. And he knows how much lead time you need and I need. I believe this about him. He deals with our lead time. He knows. And so that's why sometimes people will come and they'll be really frustrated because I have this problem and God's not talking to me about it. And I'll say, look back. If you've been spending consistent time with God, look back in the last six months or year or 18 months, God has spoken to you. I bet he has already given you the word that you need for today. He sees the, you know, the, the name of God. I didn't plan on saying any of this today. So the name of God in the Old Testament, Jehovah Jireh, or I think it's more Yure, but anyway, it's, it's God as provider. He revealed himself as our provider. It means the God who sees the need ahead of time and makes provision. So we've got to come out of this. I think we're the ones that are driving six inches in front of the car instead of looking down the road. I don't think God is suddenly doing things as much as we're not paying attention until we run into a problem. But if you, and, and so I believe with all my heart that if we just live this way, the Lord will lead the dance. He will lead your life. He will give you what you need, whether you think it's what you need or not. Just think about that. Think about that idea. Well, I, God, I need you to talk to me about this, and you're talking to me about that. Does that come across as a little arrogant when we say it out loud? If God is emphasizing this, go there. For one thing, there'll be lots of peace. Over here, you're wrestling to get him to talk to you about this. And he's probably just trying to break down that thing being an idol in your life. And he's so at peace about it. Remember how Jesus slept in the back of the boat in the storm? Sound asleep, 
really frustrated the disciples. They accused him of not caring about him because he could sleep through the storm, right? He's still sleeping through storms and, and he's not ignorant of our storms. It's not that he doesn't care about our storms. It's that he, whatever he's pouring out is where the life is. And if you'll just go there, the rest will take care of itself. You'll be fed, you'll be full, you'll know how to pray. You'll have all this going on because you'll be approaching the word in a way that is to know him, to know his heart, not just know about him, not just know. I mean, so often it's like we're coming and saying, okay, I have this problem. I need you to tell me how to fix this problem. And then I'll talk to you, you know, I'll call you again in a month. You know, this isn't the kind of relationship he wants. So I just encourage you with this, this whole deal, everything else tends to take care of itself. So we need to approach the word or approach life, make knowing the Lord, okay, that number one priority in life, all right? And so that means we're not just trying to follow a set of doctrines, okay? We're not just trying to accomplish a set of religious obligations, all right? We're, we're not doing those things. We're not trying to just live up to a moral code in our own, in our own strength, Okay, we're not just trying to do socially acceptable good things, okay? We're knowing God. We've just, we've, we realize we have the privilege of knowing his heart. And the thing is, too, that when our prayer life becomes all about him solving our problems, then our focus is all on our problems, and our focus is all on us. When we approach him to know him, he not only talks to us about us and fixes things in us, but he gives us stuff for other people. His perspective is so much wider and broader than ours. He gives us things that we're going to need. And I, man, I see this so much. You know, you come in here, for example, or you go into your prayer time or whatever, and you engage with God and you go out, always go with the expectation that whatever he gave to you, somebody's going to need. We are here to carry his life and deposit it in other people. So it's never just for us. It's always for others around us or to pray over the situation, the life around us, to be intercessors for people. It's not just for us. So just, you just got to guard your heart in that way and, and not become too self-focused and just be, just be God-focused. Just want to know him. And honestly, if you don't have that desire in your heart right now, let him develop it. If you've given your life to Jesus, then the spirit of God has been poured into your heart that cries out, the scripture says, daddy God, okay, daddy God. That's, so if you're allowing the, the Spirit to speak in your life and speak in your heart, there will be a desire there to know God. Gosh. So this just comes up, so I'll say it. You know, shame is one of the big hindrances to what we're talking about this morning. <clears throat> and the scripture tells us that Jesus went to the cross and carried the shame of the whole thing. And I believe it's bigger than that. I believe he carried the shame associated with sin in all humanity. 
And, and so when we receive him, one of the things he breaks in our lives and will continue to break is shame, which is shame addresses, again, it's an identity issue. It doesn't say you did a bad thing. It says you're a bad person and that's why you always do bad things. You're a, you're a no good person. You're a worthless person. God can't use you. God doesn't love you. God certainly look over there. You know, obviously God loves that person, but he sure doesn't love you like that. That is the voice of shame at work in your life. And I believe it, it keeps us, because to do what I'm talking about, you have to be comfortable coming into God's presence like a little kid and saying, God, you are, Daddy, God, you are really awesome. Show me you. What are you thinking today? What's on your heart today? I want to see where your heart is today. I want to know you better, you know? Well, you can't be afraid of God. That's going to, I should say, that's going to really hinder you if you're always coming in, looking down at your feet and thinking about your sin. You've got to get hold of the fact that Jesus' blood paid for that sin. And all of us wish we hadn't sinned ourselves or been born into sin, but we all were, and he knew that. And he shed his blood for forgiveness, and forgiveness eliminates shame. And with shame going out, fear goes out. That's why the Bible says that the perfect love of God casts out all fear. We can come to him. We can, we're, we're called into a face-to-face worship with God. The, the terminology in the New Testament is face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, intimacy with God. That's provided for us. It's ours. You know, and if that tugs at your heart, then say yes to it and, and let him develop it. And if there are things that he needs to work on in your life to remove some shame you're still carrying, he'll do it. He'll do it. It's part of the transformation. He'll do it, okay? But give yourself to it. We can't, we, we need to let him address things like that in our life, okay? And, and through that, our lives are changed. Did you find Philippians chapter three yet? We better, let's read the Bible uh, at least a little bit. Don't want anybody going out of here saying we never read the Bible in this place. I guess I didn't put it in my notes. So let me go find it. Philippians chapter three. Paul talks in this. We're not going to have time to get into very much of it this morning. But um, Paul comes into this chapter and he's talking about, you know, people coming out of legalism. And um, let's just begin in about verse three. We, We won't get very far today, but let's read a few of these verses. He first talks about his former life before he came to Christ. And then the decisions he's made about what his pursuit is now. And he says, and again, I'm just going to stick with the Amplified this morning, I guess. It, it says, for we Christians are the true circumcision who worship God in spirit and by the spirit of God and exalt and glory and pride ourselves, this is interesting, pride ourselves in Jesus Christ. And put, get this, no confidence or dependence on what we are in the flesh and on outward privileges and physical advantages and external appearances. So he comes in, he says, we're the true circumcision. Circumcision in the Old Testament was a symbol of covenant. It was a cutting away of the flesh and one entering into covenant. And he says, we're the true circumcision. We worship by the Spirit and in the Spirit. The Spirit is engaged and involved in our worship. He is inspiring and moving in us to worship. All right, and he says, we put all of our confidence in Jesus Christ. We pride ourselves 
in Jesus Christ. That means anything I'm proud of is about him, not about me. And he says, we don't put any confidence in our outward advantages and privileges. So he's talking about good things here. He's not talking about, we pride ourselves in Jesus and we think sin's bad. Okay, that's true, but that's not what he's talking about. He's not, he's not talking about getting rid of sin. He's talking about how he's going to handle what was good in his life, what was valuable in his life. And he goes on in verse four, he says, though for myself, I have at least grounds to rely on the flesh. In other words, to rely on my own abilities. He says, if any other man considers that he has or seems to have a reason to rely on the flesh and his physical and outward advantages, I have still more. Okay, so he says, I had every reason to rely on who I was, my outward person. And he tells us why here. This is his history. Circumcised when I was eight days old. Okay, that's according to the law. Male children had to be brought in, brought into covenant at eight days old. He did that. He didn't miss that one. Okay, he, he was there at that appointment when he was eight days old. Of the race of Israel, right? So in the Old Testament, that's how those were the children of God. You had to be a part of Israel. So he, he checked that box, right? Of the tribe of Benjamin, all right? And there were the various tribes. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew and the son of Hebrews. So he's saying, look, my whole lineage goes back. This is like, you know, I grew up in the Catholic church and at least when I grew up in the Catholic church, maybe it's this way, maybe it isn't now, you were considered, you were going to heaven because you were born into a Catholic family. I never heard about being born again and coming to Christ and giving my life to Christ until I met some born again people much later. It was all about what family you were born into. And if you were gonna, if you as a Catholic were gonna marry a non-Catholic, they had to become a Catholic or your children were going to hell. I mean, it was just a religious system based on your family history and your, your church affiliation, which you could do as an outsider, just like you could in Israel. But you had to, with Israel, you had to come in, you had to be circumcised, you had to, you didn't just cross the border and get all their privileges, by the way, which is a big thing people say these days. They were told to take care of foreigners and to take care of aliens. They were told that. But for an alien to have all the rights of Israel, they had to be circumcised. They had to become an Israelite. They had to become a citizen of the nation of Israel. This is a different subject. We won't get into it this morning because I'll get political on us. Um, but he's saying, I have all these boxes checked. All right. And as to the observance of the law, I was of the party of the Pharisees. So the Pharisees were... They were the teachers of the law. They were the doctors of the law. They were the people who enforced the law. They were all about the law of Moses and all the laws that man added to that later, okay? They were the legalists. They were looking for every little thing that was done right or done wrong. They were the ones that brought tithes of their little herbs in the garden, but hated people that Jesus got down on, okay? That, that was them. And so he's saying, look, I was a Pharisee. I knew this stuff inside and out. I have all the boxes checked that should put me in right relationship with God. Verse six, as to my zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. And he was, he was killing Christians. That was his, he was zealous for God. He was doing what he thought was the right thing to do at 180 miles an hour. I mean, he was 
going for it. And by the law's standard of righteousness, supposed justice, uprightness, and right standing with God, I was proven to be blameless and no fault was found in me. This was an entire, I mean, legalistic systems are always a system of judgment. And this was one. But here he goes. He says, but, but, got all the boxes checked. But whatever former things I had that might have been gains to me. Notice that word gains. It's it's a word that means this would be profitable to me. That word gains is something that would be considered to have value that you could exchange with God for right standing with God. I go to church every Sunday, so I'm okay with God. I read my Bible every day. I hate a lot of people, but I read my Bible every day, so I'm okay with God. It's something you can do that in your mind makes you right with God other than accepting the blood of Jesus. It's something you do. Does that make sense to you? And, and he's saying whatever might have been gains, these would have been seen as profitable in my life. He says, I have con- come to consider as one combined loss for Christ's sake. So this term loss is really interesting because it doesn't mean something that lacks value. It means something that has value It wasn't a bad thing for him to know the law. It wasn't a bad thing for him to be an Israelite. It wasn't a bad thing uh, for him to be a Pharisee. It wasn't a bad thing. None of those were actually in and of themselves bad things. It was, this word loss means something of value, but when you compare it with something of way more value, this looks like trash, looks like something to be thrown away. And that's exactly what it means. In Acts chapter 27, they're on a ship and he and Paul told him, he said, look, I've, I've, I, he gave him a prophecy. He said, Lord, shown me that if we go out there, there's going to be great loss on this ship. Well, there was all this cargo on the ship that was valuable. It was valuable to the owners, to the captain, to the merchants, to everybody involved. It wasn't that it had no value. But once they got into a big storm, they threw all that stuff overboard because they decided their lives were of more value than the cargo. And that's exactly the word he's using here. He's saying, when I look back on all this, everything in my life that might have been a gain. Now we could look at that. We could look at our education. We could look at our skill set. We could look at um, advantages that we've had growing up, things that we know. Those are not bad things. They're valuable things, but not in comparison to knowing Christ. And so if they're getting in the way of knowing Christ, then they need to be thrown overboard. And I'm just going to jump ahead of myself here and say this, and we'll read the verse and we'll, I'll quit. But he, he's saying, you know, there are things in our lives that are not bad things. There's nothing wrong with them. But if they become a distraction to you and take you away from the Lord, if they start to dominate too much of your time, too much of your money, too much of your thought life, too much of all those things that belong to the Lord, and you're trying to live a life, you want to be a person who's engaged with God and living for his kingdom, treasuring the right things, like we said earlier. If you're wanting to be that person, then for most of us, there are going to be things that one of two things is going to have to happen. Either you're going to have to jettison them overboard Or you're going to have to figure out, and the Lord will do this, figure out how to subject those things to Christ 
so that they aren't interfering with him, so that they're not above him. Does that make sense? If, if your recreational pursuit, whatever it might be, that can be a really good thing that God has given to you and it's good for your life and it, it releases stress and you're, you, know, you do it with friends and there's fellowship in it and you enjoy the beauty of the mountains and all that stuff's wonderful. It's not a bad thing. But when it becomes your God and, and, and your identity in life, then it needs to either be jettisoned and left behind or it needs to be subjected to Christ. It needs to come under his authority. He's got to be first, right? Does that make sense to you? We've known musicians that were awesome musicians that God later on in life used as awesome worship leaders, but there was a period in their life because they came from being worldly musicians. God made them lay down the music, lay down the instruments, stop it learn to seek me. And then later he brought that back in in their lives and it was subject to Christ and it became a real blessing to lots of people. We all, almost all of us have stuff like that in our lives. And this is one of the transformative processes is priorities being switched in our lives. So let me just read this. I know we're out of time. Let me just read this and we'll be done. Got to read a couple more verses. Verse 80 says, yes, furthermore, I count everything as loss something to be thrown overboard, not, not unvaluable, but compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and, and more clearly. He says, for his sake, I have lost everything and consider it all to be mere rough, rubbish, refuse, and dregs. That's actually the word for sewage, but nobody wants to translate it that way. And you can translate that any way you like. In order that I may gain or win Christ the anointed one. Just jump down to verse 10, we'll be done. For my determined purpose is that I may know him. Again, the Amplify goes through the whole thing, progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him and, and all of that. And that I may come to know two things. His person, we'll probably go into this next week, his person and his power. His person and the power overflowing out of his resurrection is what it says. I want to know his person and I want to be intimately acquainted with his power for my life and through my life. Those two things go right together. They are not separate. They are not individual. They are not opposed to one another. He, he says, I want to know Christ. That's the person. And I want to know the power that's flowing out of his resurrection. So we can get into that a little bit more next week. But this is the, this is the point. Make knowing him, knowing him, the number one thing in your life. Do that and almost everything else will take care of itself. It'll fall into place over time. It doesn't happen the moment, you know, but over time, it'll all get settled out. All right, did you get anything out of this? Let's go ahead and stand up. We'll pray together. Oh, thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you today for everything you've done. I just feel like there are so many things that you have touched in this service. And I love the way, Lord, that you minister to us as individuals and build our individual lives and at the same time knit us together as a body and, and work your purpose for us as a body in this community and in this time. 
Lord, the, the way that you work that purpose through all of us as you build your church. Lord, we, we love that. And as we go out today, Lord, and we go out this week into all the things, Lord, all of our work and our relationships and all the things we're going to face, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us, Holy Spirit, help us to keep this thought in mind of making Jesus, knowing Jesus, the number one priority in our life, and then carrying that knowledge of God, that fragrance of who God is out into this, out into our world and releasing it to other people. We thank you for doing that. We trust you to do it. And we welcome the work you're doing in our own hearts for sure. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, there's some good snacks out there you guys can all enjoy. We're going to going to turn you loose on the town, okay? So go out there and be the church. We're going to say on the count of three, Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world and head out. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Venison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.